Hey, welcome back to the High Heat Stats Podcast, number five. Five is a kind of a cool number in baseball. Uh, think about the five-hit game, which is pretty rare. And uh, you look at guys who have had the most five-hit games in a single season, there are four players who have had four such games, a five-hit game in the same season. Uh, sometimes when you're dealing with small rare events like this you get unusual names of of guys who have done such things but listen to these four who've had four five hit games in the same season Ty Cobb in 1922 Stan Musial in 1948 Tony Gwynn in 1993 and Ichiro in 2004 uh, four awfully good players um, and Arguably, each guy was the best hitter of his era. Uh, you can make a pretty, pretty good case for all four of them. Uh, so that's interesting. So here we are for for podcast number five. We are still, as always, sponsored by the BaseballReference.com Play Index. The stat I just gave you obviously came from the Play Index, as do so many of the things that we feature on this podcast so you might want to think about signing up for that or getting it as a gift for someone else in your life and if you're a new subscriber you can get the three bucks off as always by putting in the coupon code HHS sign up at baseball-reference.com slash play dash index lots of dashes and slashes in that one but uh, you can parse it out anyway here we go with Episode number five. Enjoy. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the High Heat Stats Podcast. This is our prediction special, and let me introduce you to who we have with us today. We're welcoming back Brian O'Connor, here with us for the first time since the very first podcast. Hey, Brian. Hi, Andy. It's good to be back. You've been you've been busy with your uh, personal life, but I gather that you are well settled now. It's true. I'm in a new home. I have internet hooked up again, and I'm trying to speak in a higher voice. For the benefit of our <laughs> listeners at home. <laughs> oh, it's not just like reverse puberty in action or anything like that? No? It's coming. We'll it's see. coming. Careful. Oh, all right. And uh, Dan McCluskey is back with us. Dan, how are you? Hey, Andy, I'm good. I'm good. Some technical problems here, but we're, we're good to go now. Yeah, that's that's the way of the podcast world, I think. I just I just pray we don't ever lose a podcast. Every now and then you listen to some famous podcast and like, oh, we lost an entire podcast. I would hate for that to happen. So as long as that doesn't happen, I'll live with all the other all the other technical problems. And finally, uh, the trivia master himself, Dalton Mack, is with us. Hi, Dalton. Pretty good. Can't complain. And uh, I think try to I don't know sort of balance out with Brian. I'll make a conscious effort to, you know, uh, make my voice a little lower, just for the sake of the podcast, as I've been 
uh, feeling some complaints from Big Andy over there. I, I, oh, I'm now get the same big moniker that your dad gets. That's, <laughs> that's very interesting. I think it would be in everybody's best interest if the three of you could try to make your voices sound as similar as possible. That would really uh, make this discussion go really well. We can all team up on a Chili's theme song later. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that sounds good. That sounds good. Maybe we can get a barbershop quartet going. Uh, maybe that could be our new outro theme. What do you think? <laughs> Uh, so we are, in fact, recording as the All-Star game is going on, and uh, unless Dan happens to have it on, none of us are watching the All-Star game. Is that, that, is that true? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow that one. Oh, you have it on in the background there? I do, yes. Well, you can fill us in on anything uh, interesting that happens, but okay. uh, it's amazing the degree to which the game holds no draw for me whatsoever. Uh, but, but we need not get into that. I think it's probably pretty apparent to everyone uh, why that is. So what we want to do today is talk about uh, our predictions for the second half of the 2013 season, and this is casual, and for the most part, we don't know what the other the others of us have prepared. Uh, in some cases, we do know a little bit, but for the most part, this is going to be pretty much an off-the-cuff discussion. Dalton, do you want to kick us off? What do you have on your list? Well, we'll start with the most basic of things, I think. Just looking at uh, predictions for the major awards for the year, MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year. Uh, I think that in the American League this year, uh, we'll have Miguel Cabrera repeating as MVP. Certainly not a, a bold prediction at all. He's got a great chance to do the Triple Crown again, but this time you know, having more of the advanced metrics on his side because he's just hitting the cover off the ball this year. So... I mean, Chris Davis and, I guess, to a lesser extent, Manny Machado, at least in terms of traditional eyes, which is, I think, uh, where more of the voters are coming from, they'll have good cases as well. But I think we have Miguel Cabrera uh, taking home the AL MVP. Uh, the NL is a tougher case because, you know, you look at war and, you know, just Carlos Gomez is having a tremendous season. But no one is very is, is really aware of it in, in the mainstream uh, just from – you know, watching, I suppose, ESPN or other broadcasts like that. At this point in the year, I gotta, I might have two repeaters. I might have Posey taking it again, maybe Yadier, but I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with both repeating. I, I have the exact same prediction. That would be the first time in baseball history that we have a dual repeat in, uh, in both leagues. I have the exact same uh, thing down. Uh, do you have other award predictions? Oh, sure. I was I was just uh, wondering if we were going to do sort of like a round of MVP or or something. Uh, no, not necessarily. Do the do the end of the year award predictions make up all of your predictions? Not not all of them. No, no. So why don't you give us the rest of what you have? Sure. Uh, for the Cy Young, uh, I'll go with my preseason pick of Max Scherzer. It's looking good now, and. Uh, I think he should carry it to the end of the year, especially seeing as, you know, he's had great numbers already, but his FIP is, is fantastic. So he should continue this success. Maybe not the, you know, fantastic one loss record that he's put up, but I wouldn't be surprised if he finishes the year, uh, 19 and 5, 19 and 6, somewhere around there with about a 3 ERA. As for the NL. Wait, 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 wait. You picked Sir Scherzer in the preseason? Yes. That's kind of crazy to me. Uh, on what basis did you pick him? Uh, good second half, actually fantastic second half, 
and good FIP numbers. Interesting, because one of my predictions is Max Scherzer will not win the AL Cy Young. <laughs> That's specifically what it is, and I went so far as to say I think Chris Sale will will get it. And and the reason for that is there's been so much talk about how similar their two numbers are, and yet Sale's win one loss record is you know well below what Scherzer's is through no fault of his own. And I think there's just going to be more attention paid to him. If he pitches well in the second half, I think he will take the award. Um, but so it's interesting. We have uh, we have opposing uh, opinions there. But uh, what do you have in the national? Andy, I actually predicted that Joe Blanton will not win the AL Cy. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I think uh, the Nostradamus Award goes to uh, Mr. O'Connor there. What do you have in the NL, Dalton? Uh, for the NL, I've got. Uh I've got, again, much like A, I'm going to go with my preseason pick of Clayton Kershaw. Uh, I think he's, by just, I know, just watching him is, is amazing. He doesn't have the, the win-loss, but, I mean, we don't care about that, but a lot of the voters certainly do. Plus, he's just pitching. He's just at a phenomenal level, I think. Uh, luck will maybe come his way a bit. Dodgers are hitting a little more. Probably should keep that up in the second half. And I got, I got Kershaw with a sigh. All right. And did you pick rookies of the year? Uh, sure. In the NL, even though he's going to take a big step back, I think in the second half of the season, I'm going to go with Yasiel Puig. And sorry, I haven't heard of him. Um, Who's that? He's he's from some island. He's, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. but no, I think I think Puig mania will subside a bit. But I think he'll still, at the end of the year, have the best case for rookie of the year. The AL is a little tougher. There's no there aren't any players that are really jumping out to me, you know, in the way Puig did or Shelby Miller did, at least in the first couple months in the NL. But I guess I'll have to go uh, with Jose Iglesias on the on the Red Sox. He's one of the few rookies that's actually putting up uh, some big numbers in in the AL. I mean, Dan Straley is looking okay for the for the A's, but is you know with an ERA of about four twenty or so. I think I don't think he's going to get much attention. Uh, I, I was talking offline to Adam earlier today, and he was making the point to me that he he's predicting a terrible second half for Iglesias. He's just predicting basically regression to uh, more of what we've seen. Uh, his batting average, was, which was over 400 for most of the years, already down to 367, and he has never hit well in the majors or the minors, and seems to be. A fairly extended, uh, large aberration going on here, but he he was actually predicting a 220 batting average for the remainder of the year. If that happens, I don't see him taking home the rookie of the year, but um, we'll see what happens. So it's interesting. Certainly, uh, Machado, if he still had his rookie status, he'd be a shoe in, but but he doesn't. So, uh, very good. Anybody have anything else they want to add to Dalton's prediction? I actually had one of my predictions, Andy, was that Adam Wainwright would win the NL Cy Young. Um, and, I, you know, I don't think that's going too far out on a limb. But yeah. I really don't think the voters are going to be, you know, unless Kershaw really boosts his win total in the second half, I don't think the voters are going to be willing to accept the lower win totals of, of Matt Harvey and, and Kershaw. Yeah, I, I mean, I would tend to agree with that, although there have been – there have been contrary examples in recent years with Felix Hernandez and Zach Greinke winning the award with pretty low uh, win totals. Well, Greinke won 16, and, and I believe, and 
Uh, Tim Linskin won it with 15, and 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 even and those numbers, I I think they'll they can live with. You know, Hernandez did it with 13 in 2010, and mm-hmm. I mean we'll see. Kershaw has what eight wins right now. Well, you know he, I guess, I guess Harvey's the one that I'm really trying to say I just don't see it, and he may very well deserve the consideration. Um, but I think of Adam Wainwright's peripherals are in the are in the neighborhood of those other guys. Uh, he's on a better team. He's probably going to rack up more wins. I think I think Wainwright is going to. I think Wainwright is going to take it. And I, and I guess you know. And I guess this is uh, my way of of criticizing the voters a little bit as well. So yeah, I think sometimes that win total uh, comes back to the magic number twenty. I think all of those years that that Dan mentioned when Linscom won fifth, won it with fifteen. Um, when Grinky won it with 16, and I think also Hernandez's year, nobody won 20. It seems like 20 is such a magic number that if one pitcher wins 20 and no one else does, that pitcher is just a default Cy Young Award winner, like uh, Bartolo Colon in 06 when he beat out Johan Santana despite having nothing in his his, his corner other than the wins. Um, but if, um, as Dalton, you mentioned Scherzer possibly going nineteen and five, nineteen and six. It, it's it seems like in the eyes of the voters, the difference between nineteen and five and twenty and five is just a chasm, and that just opens it up for someone to win on merit as opposed to uh, on what his team did. But I also I, I would just like to echo what Dalton said about the Dodgers' offense coming alive. I think with Puig, with uh, Andy Ramirez back, Kershaw could have more wins coming to him in the second half. Yeah, no doubt, yep. no doubt. That's true. I mean, he's he's definitely you know that that part is definitely the wild card. The interesting thing about these this sort of prediction is, and I think we've all hit on this to some degree, is there's an there's a matter of who deserves it now based on the stats versus who's going to deserve it at the end of the year based on the stats versus what are the voters going to do. Those are three totally different things, and. I know that if you go back and you look at other mid-season picks for end-of-the-year award winners, very few people get it right, um, especially on the pitching side because guys run so hot and cold. You know, Miguel Cabrera, unless he gets injured, I, I mean, it's almost impossible to imagine him not winning uh, the AL MVP because he's so far above Chris Davis in terms of overall production that even if Davis you know, hits 60 home runs, I don't think he's going to win it. Um, but but pitching, man, it's it's hard. So well, Andy, I was going to save this, but I, I think that's a really good segue into one of my picks. Should I let Dalton wrap up, yeah. or should I mention my uh, AL MVP pick? H- have you wrapped, Dalton, or not? I've wrapped. Yeah, yeah. Go for it, Brian. So one of my predictions is that Cabrera will deserve the MVP this year, but he won't win it. I don't think he deserved it last year. He had a fantastic year, but I, I think he was a... No, 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 no. We're not going to talk about the 2012. Significant step yeah, down from MVP. someone who shall remain anonymous. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think Cabrera, he's more than half a win ahead of anyone else in terms of wins above replacement. Uh, I think he'll finish the season like that, but I think MVP awards depend so much on narratives. I think there's a big segment of the electorate that just doesn't care about numbers except the numbers that fit into their their narrative. Uh, the triple crown last year obviously had a lot to do with it. The idea oh, triple, triple clown. Triple clown. Is a great, great. <laughs> it's a clown award, bro. 
he, I think the idea that he carried the Tigers to the playoffs had a lot to do with it. Uh, I'm not sure just how true it was. Uh, the Angels won more games than the Tigers did last year, but of course the Tigers made the playoffs and it was all on Miguel Cabrera's back. I think this year the Tigers are going to open up a big lead, and I could see them, I know they're only a couple games up now, I could see them winning by 10, 11 games, and I think there's this idea that it, it takes one player to put you over the top if you win by two or three, but if you win by 10, it was a team effort. I think uh, Dalton mentioned Davis and Machado. I mean, Davis could, could hit 62 homers and break the American League record. Machado is on pace to break Earl Webb's doubles record, at least he was until recently. Machado also has been uh, maybe the best defensive infielder in the game this year, and I'm not sure how much the voters will notice that, but if the Orioles sneak into the playoffs, there will be some momentum around that. There will be a narrative around that. Voters can get excited about a Davis or a Machado putting the team on his back and carrying him into the playoffs. And much like Dan, yeah, this pick in many ways is making fun of the voters. Um, but I think it's it's very reasonable. And even beyond those two Orioles, I mean, you've got Evan Longoria and Robinson Cano, two of the best players in the game, playing on teams that will be involved in playoff races or, or most likely will be – or somewhat likely, at least in the case of the Rays, are likely to be uh, in the hunt right to the end of it. We haven't even talked about Mike Trout. The Angels are close to 500. It's They've been on a tear lately. If they can find some pitching, if the Angels were to come up and sneak up on somebody and take that last wild card, I think there's a chance that the electorate says, this Trout guy, I never heard of him before. I don't know what he did last year, but he just stepped up in August and took the team on his back and hit 10 home runs. Um, the other piece of this is that Cabrera, if you look at Cabrera's last four seasons, uh, 2010 through 2013 through today, his on-base percentage is 420, 448, 393, 458. Notice the nadir in 2012. Uh, if, you, if you like weighted on base average, 431, 437, 417, 473. 2012 was in many ways the weakest season for Miguel Cabrera over the last four. It didn't hurt him because he had the narrative. He had the triple crown. This year, I think there's a chance he doesn't have the narrative. Davis is going to hit more home runs. Cabrera's the best player in the American League this season. I'm not convinced he wins the MVP. All right. Dan, you have another prediction you want to throw out there? Sure. Um, while we're in the American League, I'm going to predict that uh, Chris Davis will not break the record for most home runs in a season. Not the all-time record. Not the quote-unquote clean record. And not even the record for this decade. Which, by the way, is held by Jose Batista, who hit uh, 54 homers in 2010. So you're saying he's not going to have more than uh, 17 in the second half? Uh, correct. I'm actually uh, I'm actually going to get really specific with my prediction and say Davis is going to hit 16 more home runs and finish the year at 53. And you know, let's 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 be clear here. When I say he's going to hit 16 more home runs, uh, you know, that's a 38 homer pace. His team's got uh, 68 games to go, I believe, by my calculations, or is it 66? They played 96, 66 games to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
yeah. So anyway, so I'm I'm, not, I'm certainly not saying that he's going to tank the rest of the year. Um, you know, that's a that's a close to a 40 homer pace for the remainder of the season. Um, I think it just underscores how truly difficult it is to keep up that kind of pace over the course of a year. Yeah, I I don't disagree with you. You know, and, I, and if I just look at Davis and Cabrera. I, and you say, who's going to hit more home runs from this point forward for the rest of the year? I choose Cabrera just because of his track record. Um, not, which is not to say that Davis is a lousy power hitter. He's obviously been a good power hitter his entire career in the minors, but, uh, you know, Miguel Cabrera's been doing it for 10 years now, and, uh, I would certainly pick him. And until recently, I probably would have picked Cabrera to repeat, to repeat for the Triple Crown as well, but, um, Davis just built that big lead on homers there right going into the All-Star break, and now the, the gap is seven, seven I think, yeah. which, is, which is pretty big. But but I would say I think Cabrera will out-homer Davis in the second half. So I I don't disagree with your prediction at all. Yeah. Anybody else want to get in on that? I was actually uh, going to mention in like a later round, so this is perfect, uh, that I think he'll hit somewhere between 50 and 55, so I think we're uh, right on the same page there. Okay. I will boldly predict that his game's played count is significantly reduced in what we're calling the second half of the year. <laughs> yeah, because he's already played 96. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I don't disagree. There's also, uh, if I can also jump in, batting fifth is not going to help him either. Oh, I don't understand that. I don't, I don't understand why he bats fifth. We were having this discussion on Twitter. It just doesn't make any sense to me at all. I don't know. Buck Showalter is somebody who I have a lot of respect for as a manager, but that decision just does not make any sense to me. Does anybody have a have a reason why that makes sense? I think it's based on this idea of just comfort, and you know, you move him around, you've got to move a couple other guys around. I'm not sure I buy it, but I've never played Major League Baseball, and, and maybe it's there's a different mindset, batting fifth versus batting third. You know, I'm not buying that, because if you're talking about the Red Sox moving Carl Crawford from first to eighth or something like that. Um, okay, that that I can understand. Very different. But his approach, it's not like he's bunting in one case and swinging for the fences in another, or he's coming up in vastly different situations where he's, for example, leading off a lot of innings when he normally wouldn't be or whatever. Uh, to me, it just doesn't make sense. You want that guy coming up with guys on base. I agree with you. Plain and simple. Well, yeah, I mean, is it, is it just a psychological thing that they're talking about? taking the pressure off of him, which which doesn't make any sense to me anyway, because obviously the pressure's on him now, regardless. People talking about him chasing the home run record, whether or not he's taking PEDs, et cetera, et cetera. So. Well, clearly he's taking PEDs. I mean, well, of course. No player, no player can do anything positive in the game this, anymore without, without, them, without taking PEDs, or, or so people on Twitter would have you believe. Right. Anyway, let's not get into yeah, that. Not. <laughs> uh, Brian, what do you have to share with us? So, in addition to my Cabrera pick, I have uh, one pick that looks considerably less bold than it did uh, about a week and a half ago when I wrote it, and one pick that looks considerably less possible. The less bold pick is that I think the Rays will win the AL East. I think pitching oh, depth yeah. is going to be a key. Um, I think David Price is going to turn it around and have a big second half. He's uh, got a strikeout-to-walk ratio, almost 5-1. to one. Uh, He's only got three wins. He's going to win a lot of games in the second half. But even if they have more injuries to that that solid top five, I think Chris Archer, 
uh, is it Jesus Colome and Jake uh, Odorizzi, I think they're going to have a solid major league pitcher uh, waiting in the wings every day. I think that's not going to be the case with the Red Sox. Um, that's not going to be the case with the Orioles. Um, the Rays lineup, I think, is underrated, and a lot of that has to do with the trop, uh, which is a pretty severe pitcher's park. Uh, we think about Longoria, maybe Zobris, but there are a lot of good players, a lot of good hitters on that team. If you look at Jennings, uh, James Loney, Matt Joyce, Luke Scott, and even Jose Lobaton all have uh, weighted runs created plus over 110 this year, so they're all hitting 10% better than the league average. Uh, this is a this is a really solid team that I could see winning 96, 97 games and taking the division. Um, Boston's pitching, I just don't see holding up. I love the Red Sox. They hit the cover off the ball. I love what we're getting from John Lackey. This is a team with a 3.91 ERA and a 4.08 team FIP. Uh, too much of a difference there. I just I think the the 4.08 is more of their true talent than the 3.91. You look at Baltimore. Besides Kansas City, they're the only team in the American League with a bigger difference in FIP. They have a 4.39 ERA and a 4.57 FIP. Middling pitching that's gotten decent results this year, enough with the um, powerful offense that they've won a lot of games. But I think Tampa's the best team in the East. Interesting. I, I think that it's a reasonable prediction. I think it's it's probably going to come down to what happens with Clay Buckles and John Lester in the second half. You know, Buckles actually comes back for real and pitches well, and if Lester can not be so horrible, um, you know, the Red Sox, as you say, they have a great offense, and and they could just stay right where they are, but you make a good case for the Rays. Um, the only thing I notice about the Rays is that they've gotten to where they, they are. They're just two and a half games behind the Red Sox in second place, in large part by beating up on bad teams, which is what you're supposed to do. They will be tested in in the second half with their games against other contending teams. That's that's going to predicate whether they win the division or not. The, uh, the other thing that's true, of course, is that the second-place finisher in the AL East has a really good chance at, uh, at being – one of the two wild cards. It's uh, it's almost mathematically certain, in fact. Uh, so we shall see about that. Anybody else want to comment on that specific prediction of Brian's? Uh, sure. I think uh, I think the Rays will come very close, maybe finishing a game back, but I still think the Red Sox uh, are going to take the division. But I think they're going to be both teams with about 93, 92 wins, somewhere around there. And... To be honest, just looking at the standings right now and just what I feel about each team, if the, I think the way the playoffs will shake out, the, I guess, five teams from each league that make it, I, I can't see them being anything other than the five teams that, if the season ended today, uh, we would see. It just seems in each, uh, or it, well, with, with one exception, however, uh, I think the Dodgers uh, will pull ahead of the Diamondbacks in the West. Yeah, the the Diamondbacks are a bad team. It's, uh, I don't have any predictions specifically about them, but how they're in first place, I don't know, other than the fact that it's just an awful division. Um, but but as as the point was made before by Dan, I think, or maybe it was Brian, I can't remember, the, I think there's every reason to think the Dodgers' offense is going to improve, and they probably will pull ahead there, I agree. Seems like the Diamondbacks uh, just bring up another young pitcher every year that you don't expect. You know, it was Daniel Hudson, then it was Ian Kennedy, then it was Wade Miley, and now it's Patrick Corbin. Uh, 
And every one of those guys has, has come through and, and finished off a season strong. And I think we could probably have this conversation every all-star break and say, well, they're not for real because it's, you know, it's only because of this Corbin guy that they're staying afloat. But I, I'm now, now you remind me of this guy on Twitter. I, I was saying how the, the Phillies uh, have been pretty significantly outscored so far this year and are really lucky to have a 500 record. And somebody on Twitter said, no, they're going to do great in the second half. They always do well in the second half. You look, you look at the second half in 2005, 2006, they did really well. I'm saying, like, are you serious? <laughs> like, <laughs> sir, sir, anything this year that has to do with what happened that year or, or really even last year in the second half? But anyway, we shall see. Um, so what do we have left? I know that we have a discussion about the NL Central Um which maybe we should leave for last. Anybody have anything else that they want to predict before we get to that discussion? No? So, Brian, why don't you yeah, jump in? Yeah, the- I can kick off the NL Central. And I, I mentioned that I had another pick that seems less possible now, and about a week and a half ago that uh, I predicted the Pirates will finally win 82 games, uh, which is not necessarily a bold prediction at this point, but that they won't win 90 and that they would miss the playoffs. And uh, I'll let you guys elaborate on, on just how foolish that is at this point. Um, and I'm not necessarily going to back that up, but I do think that the Pirates are due for some regression, which, again, broken record, any all-star break uh, in the last couple of years, I could sit here and tell you that and, and be all smug about it, although I, I'd rather see the Pirates make the playoffs. Um the the Pirates pitchers have held the league to a two sixty five batting average on balls in play. It's by far the lowest in Major League Baseball. They've got a three fifteen ERA. Their FIP is three seven five. Three seven five is a very good FIP. It's a pretty good pitching staff, but it's not the pitching staff it's not the, the quality pitching staff that it's appeared to be to this point. Uh Francisco Liriano has just been lights out and I think he's gotta regress a little bit to, to where he's been if he's been active the last couple of years. Uh, I have the word lock written down. I think it's Jeff Locke. Can anybody? Yep. Yeah. Lock. <laughs> Jeff right. Locke. Lock. Um, who, I mean, good for him. I think he's a bit of a mirage. Uh, the bullpen is just outperforming their career norms almost to a man. Um, they're going to come back to earth. The hitters have struck out in 22% of their plate appearances. Only the ma- the Masters, the, the Astros and the Mets have been worse than that. They've got middling walk rates and isolated power. Uh, again, I, I hate to, to keep beating a dead horse, but a lot of mirage is here. I think Andrew McCutcheon is for real. Uh, I think it's very possible that Pedro Alvarez and Stalling Marte are uh, turning it on, and, and, and what we've seen out of them is for real. Uh, but it's possible that it's not. And I think guys like Russell Martin and Jose Tabata, um, who have had career years so far, uh, are due for some regression. As far as their contender, their their opponents, um, I think the Reds and the Nationals both look better on paper. But, of course, the Nationals have a lot of ground to make up, and I'll let somebody else take it from there. What about Mark Melanson? The- <laughs> He's had such a strange two years here. I mean, he was so bad last year, and it's just been incredible this year. He was very good for the Astros in 2011. Yeah, he's got 44 innings pitched, 46 strikeouts, four walks. And, you know, that's like uh, Eckersley-like, right? I mean, I I find it hard to believe that he'll maintain that sort of rate. It's... uh, 
I'm with you there. So the the thing about the Pirates, the last couple of years, you referenced the fact that they were you know doing well around the All Star break. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I seem to recall that by Pythagorean one loss, they were pretty lucky the last couple of years, meaning 2011, 2012, in the sense that they were they were really um, they were not outscoring their opponents by that much, but had a record that was pretty well above 500. The same is true this year. Uh, Pythagorean has has them at 52 and 41, which is four games off their actual one-loss record of 56 and 37. And so just that alone, I think you can make a pretty good case that uh, they're not going to be able to maintain it. The other thing is that their offense sucks. I mean, it's just terrible. They're only scoring 3.8 runs a game. You know, and, yeah, the Marlins are worse than them, but that's, like, not really saying very much. And it's very hard to believe that their pitching staff is going to continue to allow 3.3 runs per game which is by far the best in the National League, and I just have a hard time imagining that it's going to stay that way. As you say, they don't have they don't have guys who have done it in the past, and so it's hard to believe that they're going to do it uh, this year. Just to pick up on what you're saying about their record, they only have to go 26-43 and 43 in the second half to win 82 games, which seems quite possible, but that's also only 17 games under 500. It seems reasonable. They could do worse than that. But I, I have them, yes, finishing above 500 for the first time since 1992, but that they're definitely going to finish third in that division behind the Cardinals and the Reds. And yet they still probably will be the second wild card because both of the other divisions stink. Um. Dalton or Dan, what do you guys have to to say chiming in on this? Uh, Not much different from your uh, pick there. I think the Reds and Pirates will be very close. I think both will win around 90 games, which always seems to be, you know, that that magic number for the wild card. But I think Reds maybe with 91, Pirates with 90. It it really, I I think they'll end up close. Obviously, that would mean that Cincinnati is a better second half than the Pirates, which is not at all would not at all surprise me. However, yeah, I think the Pirates uh, will win 90. So going a little against uh, Brian's pick there, but just only about 90, no uh, no more. Yeah, it would take a 34 and 35 finish to give the Pirates 90 wins. 34 and 35. Yep. 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 That sounds right. I don't think that's going to happen. But yeah, but I don't think they're going to need to win 90 see. games to make the playoffs either. Right. At this right. point, me neither. I mean, if, I, agree. I mean the the uh, the competition, and you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was gonna when we first started talking about predictions, I was gonna pick that the Nationals were gonna were gonna have a strong second half and make the playoffs, but they they haven't done they haven't done anything in the in the, in the last couple of weeks to to really help that cause. And so basically, it's either the Nationals, the Phillies, or the Dodgers that are going to have to bump the Pirates out of the playoffs. Or even, let's say, the Diamondbacks. Let's assume the Diamondbacks fall into second place, and they've got 50 wins right oh, now. Right. They're not going to win 40 in the second half. Right, but then it's, but then it's, but then, I mean, still, in, in, essentially, it's still the, it's still a strong second half by the Dodgers that's bumping Arizona out of that division and, and, and essentially bumping right. Pittsburgh out of the playoffs. So, I mean, one of those teams, it's not going to be the Phillies, so let's just forget talking about them. So the, so the Dodgers or the Nationals would have to go, say, 
either the Dodgers have to go 40, 42 and 26 or the Nationals 41 and 26 in order to get to, to 89 wins. Um, and, and, you know, and, th- and those things could happen. There's, there's no doubt that, that it could happen. But even if that does happen, the Pirates, like as Brian said, need to, need to go 34 and 35 to get to 90. So they need to go, you know, 30, uh, well, 33 and 36 to get to 89. So, I mean, for all, all that stuff to happen at, not all that stuff to happen at once, but a, a combination of one of those teams getting really hot and and uh, and the Pirates playing serious sub five hundred ball. Yeah, you know, I think the odds are against it. Um, so I think I think I think the Pirates are going to be uh, this year's Orioles, and I and I think they're actually I think they're actually a little bit a little bit less lucky than than last year's Orioles. Although this year's Orioles are probably better than last year's Orioles too. But yeah, last year's Orioles had to be one of the luckiest teams of all time, I would think. Um, so, does anybody have anything else they want to add on that, or any other predictions? I, I do. I think it's either one of the most beautiful things or one of the most frustrating things about baseball, depending on your point of view. But can't can't we see the Pirates going say thirty two and? 39, is that right, for the rest of the year? 37. 32, 37, sure. Uh, they win just enough games to make the playoffs. They get a one-game playoff against the Reds, maybe A.J. Burnett on the bump. They win that. They play the Cardinals three out of five. I mean, from here, it's practically a 50-50 proposition in every series. And this team that all four of us are you know, lukewarm at best about, just based on what they've done in the first half of the year, is a very legitimate contender for the championship. Yeah, it doesn't bother me so much. I mean, I think it has to do with the fact that the Central is a pretty strong division, and uh, the rest of them aren't. And that's one of the things you always have to keep in mind. I mean, the 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 number of wins coming in that Central division a team that had the same number of wins there versus a team having the same number of wins in the Western division, I think is a better team in all likelihood. So it doesn't bother me so much. I wrote about that and exact same thing on high heat stats this afternoon. So listen, did you, I check I, it out. I was plagiarizing from you. For sure. <laughs> um, that's, that's my middle name. And none of us have read it yet. <laughs> um, anybody have anything else? they want to add to this podcast? Um, I think the only thing I've got is that I'm, and it's not a particularly bold prediction at all, but that no team uh, in the AL East will finish worse than 500. Yeah, like, that seems very possible. I was even going to ask that question if we since if we wanted to to discuss whether that would happen. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that, that there's a good chance of that happening, but who knows? I mean, the, the, the Yankees could tank. Um... Cano got hit by a pitch in the first inning tonight on the knee, by the way. So. No, it was on his leg, and they said he's fine. Oh, really? It's okay. Well, X-rays are negative. He'll be fine. I thought you weren't watching. <laughs> I, was, I was just reading up on some sports news while I was being put to sleep by you guys. The Blue Jays have a 27-23 and 23 record against non-division opponents, and yeah. I think they've played more division games than any other American League team. This, again, is pulling from research for the piece I wrote for HighHeatStats.com this afternoon. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, certainly a possibility that the Blue Jays go on a little run playing against some non-division opponents for the rest of the year. Yeah, and just looking at the average standings, 
the AL East teams are are fourteen and ten on average against the Central, and uh, ten and seven on average against the West, and seven and three on average in interleague. So they're, I mean, across the average of those five teams, they're winning no matter who they're playing. So the idea that the wins would be piled up in that division is uh, makes a lot of sense to me. The AL East so. against non AL East teams this year is has a 95 win, the equivalent of a 95 win winning percentage. Extrapolate that out to a season. Wow. Yeah. Wow. What was that website again, Brian? <laughs> www.highheatstats.com. So just as real quick here, just to tack on in the end, I didn't, I didn't ask you guys to prepare this, but I just thought I would ask, off the top of your head, don't think about it too much, which two teams you think you'll see in the World Series. Anybody jump in? Cardinals and A's. Cardinals and A's. I could see that. Anybody else? Reds and Rays. Tigers and Braves. I uh, I think it's very hard to pick against the Cardinals coming out of the National League, and uh, the American League is a is a little bit harder story. But uh, I think I'm actually going to go with the Red Sox. So I think we'll see a recent rematch there, Cardinals and Red Sox. All right, guys, thanks very much. And uh, anybody have anything they want to add? Otherwise, we will wrap it up. All right. Have a good one. Thanks, thanks, Eddie. there you have it number five in the books now we will return to these predictions later on sometime in the off season we will uh, remind ourselves of what was predicted and how it turned out and uh, no doubt some of our predictions will be right and most of them will be wrong that's how these things always go but uh, that's the fun of it just a reminder, if you want to follow any of these folks on Twitter, Brian is at rep level, R-E-P level. Dan is at left field, which is preceded by an underscore, so that's at underscore left field. And Dalton is at DMAC1291. And, of course, I am at High Heat Stats. We will be coming back to you shortly with another trivia special edition podcast so there's something to look forward to and in the meantime be lucky yeah actually there's none no uh no ac going in here so i'm just i'm, I'm sweating it out with high heat stats but let's see all right well we'll do the best we can um i'm a little concerned Dan, about the quality that we're getting from you, but of the call, of the signal, I mean. Um, hey, stop it. Yeah. So I could do that too, but people might mistake me for Dalton. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's do an all falsetto podcast. Guys, I, I think Dan's back. Yeah.
who who was doing that and why? Nope. Ah, <laughs> uh, I. I don't know if that's going to translate, but uh, I'll do my best in the editing bay on that one. That came in right where I wanted to come in lengthwise. So it was perfect. That's what she said. Uh, <laughs> one of the predictions I was going to make was that Andy would quit his day job to become the full-time PR guy for Lackey and Ortiz. Paging Dr. Thunderdump. Oh, yes, I'm back. Yes, that's, uh... <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's going to be a blooper right there.